Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever noticed that everything is connected? That one event influences another event, which influences a third event, etc., on into the future. And this is fascinating when it comes to history. And what I want to do today is have a conversation about how we got to this holiday we call Thanksgiving. What led up to it? How did we even get a nation to begin with? And what led up to this holiday we call Thanksgiving? And there's no better person to talk about this than my friend Bill Federer. I've had Bill on the program several years ago. If you don't know Bill Federer, you ought to know him because he is a wonderful historian, particularly, well, not just about America, but about the world. And uh, he and I were at a conference uh, a few weeks ago in, in uh, Den- the Denver area, actually, uh, Colorado Springs. And I got to listen to him again. And I said, Bill, we got to do another radio program because I just love how you put uh, history together so people can understand it and how they can see how everything is connected, how one event leads to another event. And what I thought we would do, uh, just <laughs> for the sake of brevity, we're not going to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. But with Bill, we're going to start uh, in 1453. And by the way, before I forget, Bill's website is AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. And if you go to AmericanMinute.com, you can not, not only see all of the great books that he's written, but you can also get an email every day that gives you a, a snapshot of history and how one thing leads to another, how everything is connected. So it's a fascinating uh, website. It's a fascinating uh, email you can get every day. And Bill Federer is a fascinating guy to have on. Bill, how are you today? Hey, Frank. Great to be with you. Great to have you on. Let's go all the way back to 1453, Constantinople, what is now known as Istanbul. What happened there in 1453? Well, first of all, I want to let your listeners know how much I respect you. And you gave such a powerful talk at that conference in Colorado Springs, uh, where I, we were both at uh, a couple months ago. And um, uh, so it's a real honor for me to be on your program, and uh, I respect your work tremendously, Frank. You're a great uh, gift to uh, to America and uh, to Christians wanting to defend their faith. Thank well, you thanks, brother. Work. We're about out of time. That's all we have for today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, that. I appreciate you. Uh, so a little background. Um you know, a, a saying I used uh, is a quote from Arthur Schlesinger, Jr. He was a Pulitzer Prize-winning historian. He said, history is to the nation what memory is to the individual. So if you can imagine an individual who's lost their memory, maybe they have Alzheimer's. They forgot who they are. They forgot who you are. It's sad. Well, we have national Alzheimer's. Here we are, the freest country that planet Earth has ever seen, and we forgot how we got here. And right. so when I share these stories, it's sort of like giving an Alzheimer patient their memory back. And, and so let's do that. Let's go back. So we have the world um, in uh, 1450. Uh, the uh, Byzantine Christian Empire has been existing with its capital in Constantinople, and then there's Western Europe, and then there's the Islamic Muslim Ottoman Empire, and they conquered all of North Africa. Uh, they they still held Spain, 
People forget that Spain was invaded and occupied by Muslim armies for 700 years. Uh, and then all of the Middle East, and then all seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation were all wiped out by the Muslim Turks. And so they're coming into Turkey. And finally, in 1453, they conquered Constantinople. This was the Christian capital of Europe for a thousand years. Rome fell to the Visigoths in 476 AD, and this was 1453, almost a thousand years later. And so the the uh, the Turks uh, surround Constantinople, conquered in 1453. Mehmet II is their sultan. And why is this significant? Because it cuts off the trade routes from Europe to India and China. People forget Marco Polo, the game the kids play around the pool. He goes from Venice, Italy to China in 1271. Brings back to Europe spaghetti noodles, gunpowder, thread from worms. The Chinese had a compass and a wheelbarrow and a Pony Express, and they invented paper from tree pulp, and they printed paper currency. The first paper currency in the world came from China. Anyway, uh, when Constantinople falls to Sultan Mehmet II, 1453, it ends the land trade routes. The Europeans look for a sea route. Uh, Vasco da Gama, sailing for Portugal, makes it around South Africa to India in 1498, but in 1492, Columbus convinced the King of Spain to finance his trip to go west, and he thought the world was smaller in diameter than it actually is, and he runs into some islands. He thinks he made it to India, so he names the people he meets the Indians. Think of it. We never would have called Native Americans Indians had it not been for Islamic Jihad cutting off the land routes to India just a couple years before Columbus. That's anyway. such an important point, Bill. I think people, I didn't realize it until uh, until you mentioned it at one point, that Columbus really was looking for a way to get to India without traveling over land and running into Muslim armies and Muslim, what they called at that point, thugs, um, who would basically kill people and take their, uh, their caravan from them. So he's looking for a, a safe way to get to India, so he sails west he winds up in America thinking he's an Indian, and he calls everybody Indians. All right, continue from there. Go ahead. <laughs> so the Muslims continued to invade into Europe, and in 1529, 100,000 Muslim Turks surround Vienna, Austria. And the Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent um, you know, sends a message to the King Leopold saying, await us in your residence, so we may decapitate you. And anyway, uh, the Holy Roman Emperor is the Catholic King of Spain, Charles V. And he has sort of a double responsibility. Spain and he's supposed to defend Christendom or Europe uh, and uh, against the Muslims. Well, the dilemma he faces is the Reformation started 12 years earlier in 1517. And so now he's got these Germanic kingdoms breaking off. He's got France. The, the, he had captured the King of France and after some concessions gave him his freedom. Well, the king of France, his name was Francis I, he snaps back the other side. And he makes a treaty with the Ottoman Turks against Spain. And so now the king of Spain's got a whole lot of things going on. The Turks invade Hungary, kill their king. And, um, and so finally, the king of Spain decides to strike a deal with these new Protestants. It's called the Peace of Augsburg of 1555. This is the first treaty ever to legally recognize Protestants. 
And in this treaty is, is a little Latin phrase that had enormous repercussions. The phrase was, Julios Regio Eus Religio, which means whose is the reign, his is the religion. In other words, look, Protestant king, believe whatever you want in your kingdom. Let's just work together against these Muslims who are invading Europe because they sort of want to kill us all. And it worked. It stopped the invasion. But in the next century, different kings believed different things. So northern Germany and Sweden were Lutheran. Switzerland, Calvinist. Scotland, Presbyterian. Holland, Dutch Reformed. And England, Anglican. And, of course, Spain, France, Austria, Poland, Italy, Ireland remained Catholic. But it was this concept that whatever the king believed, the kingdom had to believe. Mm. And if you did not believe exactly the way your king did, you were persecuted, you fled. It was considered treason. And so Europe was thrown into this mass migration of people shifting from one country to another simply for conscience sake. Those were the ones that spilled over and founded colonies in America. So again, prior to the Islamic invasion, all of Western Europe was Catholic. After this Muslim invasion and the Peace of Augsburg, different kings believed different things. And now we focus on England, because that's where the pilgrims came from. And uh, is this okay? Am I doing all right? Let's stop right here because we're about to come up to a break, Bill, because as our audience is going to see, Bill Federer is fascinating and his website, AmericanMinute.com, is something you can sign up for. And he's got scores of books and he also has videos that you can get there. There's articles you can connect to. I read an article this morning on Thanksgiving, which we're going to get to here in a minute. Uh, We're going to see that everything is connected. How we got to America. Uh, starts in, in in history back in 1453 and even before that. We're going to get to it in just a minute with my friend Bill Federer. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. God and country, an encyclopedia of quotations. That might be the most famous book my guest today, William J. Federer, has written. I've had this book for uh, a couple of decades now. Bill, when when did you uh, put this book together? How old is this book? Uh, 1994. It is 1994, yes. But I think think it may have been some additional additions. There's over half a million of these you've sold, haven't you? Right. And every time I reprint it, we add some more stuff to it and we add more end notes. And, um, but it, we were thrilled uh, or humbled that the uh, Supreme Court actually cited the book by name in a decision. Really? 2014, the city of Greece, New York, was opening with prayer in Jesus' name. And the um, Anthony Kennedy, the justice, said, mm-hmm. look, even our Continental Congress opened with prayer. And he gives the prayer from Reverend Jacob Duchesne and it cites the book, W. Fenner, American God and Country. And so... Uh, anyway, it's in one of those Supreme Court decisions. Well, check this book out, friends. America's God and Country. This is one of many books that Bill has put together, but this probably is uh, the most famous book. Uh, and as we'll see as we go through history in this program, that everything is connected. We started in 1453 with the Muslim takeover of the capital of Eastern Christianity called Constantinople. Now it's called Istanbul. And Bill, just before the break, we uh, we got to about England uh, in uh, what are we the early 
are we in the 1500s here with uh, with with uh, England and the Anglican Church and King Henry VIII? You want to pick it up right there? Right. So Martin Luther starts the Reformation 1517, and Henry VIII brings the Reformation to England in 1534. Now, the setting is he's Catholic. He's married to the daughter of the King of Spain, Catherine of Aragon. After 18 years, Catherine does not have a son. A daughter Mary, but not a son. So Henry decides to divorce her. The Pope won't recognize the divorce because she is, after all, the daughter of the most powerful king in the world, the King of Spain. And so Henry VIII says, you know what? I'm far enough away from Italy and Spain. I'll just declare myself my own Pope. <laughs> he starts the Church of England, puts himself on as the head, and he goes on to have six wives. Not at the same time, but their fates <laughs> were divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. So Henry VIII was not a really nice guy to be married. All right, to. say that again. With the eight wives, say that again. What were their fates of each of them? Well, there were six wives. Six. So I'm sorry, six. Divorced, divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. Okay. <laughs> and, and so um, he ended up being around 400 pounds. He would only eat meat. He thought vegetables and fruits were sissy food. And uh, matter of fact, he. Um, Back then, men showed off their calves, their lower legs, where today they show off their biceps, and uh, they didn't have elastic, and so they would tie these silk stockings up, and here he is, 400 pounds. He ends up getting gout and open sores and, and gangrene in his leg. and Anyway, uh, but he, he finally dies, and um, now, before all that, let's go back to his first wife he divorces, and then he marries Anne Boleyn, second wife. And um, his advisors suggest to him, they say, Henry, if you're serious about breaking from Rome, you need to stop using that old Latin Bible. Get yourself an English Bible. The Germans have Martin Luther's German Bible that helped them to break away from Rome. You need an English Bible. Well, it just so happens a couple of years earlier, Henry VIII had William Tyndall burnt at the stake for translating the Bible into English. William Tyndall's last words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Now it's a couple years later, the king wants an English Bible. They basically take William Tyndall's work, polish it up. They call it the Great Bible. Henry orders it spread all across England and puts a copy in every single church. He dusts his hands and says, that's it. We have broken from Rome. But something unexpected happens. People begin to read it and began to compare what's in this Bible to this king divorcing and beheading his wives and claiming to be the head of Christ's church. And so a group starts that wants to purify the Church of England, and they're, they're, they are nicknamed the Puritans. Mm. The king obviously doesn't think he needs purifying, so he persecutes the Puritans. There's another group that said it's beyond hope of trying to purify the Anglican Church. We are going to separate ourselves. And we call them the pilgrims. Ah, and so these, now we're so getting the, to America. Okay, I got it. So these, uh, so the king passes the act of uniform, act of uniformity, which says what? Yes, you can read the Bible in your own language, but no, you can't believe whatever you want. You have to believe what I tell you to believe. Mm. And so, uh, if you have five people meeting in your home and you are talking religion without the king's approval. You'll have spies peeking in the window. The guards will bust through the door, and they will arrest everybody. If you are caught, they pass a five-mile act. If you are caught preaching within five miles of a town without approval of the government, they will arrest you. 
They'll drag you before the star chamber. Right? We're seeing a little of this coming back where if you don't believe what the government says, maybe about transgendered stuff or something, all of a sudden the government sends its Department of Justice to come in and arrest you. Right. And, you know, and so the, the star chamber was this room in the government building with stars on the ceiling, and you couldn't have a lawyer. You couldn't meet your accused. Uh, they would twist your arm. They would cut off your ear. They'd cut your nose in half. They would brand you on the face as a heretic with the letters S.L., were seditious, liable. The archbishop's name was Laud, L-A-U-D. And so the Puritans said, well, that's the sign of Laud, S-L. They'd brand them on the face with S-L. And so this was the situation that caused the pilgrims to want to flee. A group of them sell their property. They are going to bypass it on a ship to Holland, which was the richest country in the world. Uh, the Dutch East India Company had an island off the coast of Japan, Jakarta, Indonesia. They captured Goa, India from the Portuguese. They had South Africa, Recife, South America, and New Amsterdam, which became New York, this global merchant empire. And there were seven United Netherlands provinces, and they didn't always believe the same thing when it came to religion, but they uh, decided to unite against Spain. It was an 80-year war of independence for the, the Netherlands to break away from Spain. They go by three names, the Netherlands, the Dutch, and Holland. It's all the same place. Mm-hmm. So these pilgrims decide they're going to buy passage on a ship to go to Holland. And uh, right before it takes off, the captain robs them and turns them over to the police, and they're thrown in jail. Great. Now another group of pilgrims decide to sell their property and have a Dutch ship meet them on a secluded part of the coast. And the pilgrims show up a day early and they're in the boats and they got all their supplies, women and children, and they're ready to row out as soon as the boat comes. It's not there. And so the women and children are getting sick and they say, can we wait on land? They put them off and the men are waiting. Finally, the boat comes, the men store all the supplies on the boat. But before they can come back for the women, the British come over the hill and capture the women and children. The Dutch captain says, we're out of here, boys. I can't fight. And he pulls anchor sails away with the men. Uh-huh. You can just picture these women on shore saying, uh, husband. <laughs> what you. year was this, Bill? Uh, this was uh, around 1607, maybe. 1607. And, um, okay. We're and, talking, by the way, so, for, those just, for those just tuning in, we're talking to Bill Federer, whose website is AmericanMinute.com, and he is an amazing historian that shows you how everything is connected. And we're, we're discussing how we got to America and how we got to Thanksgiving and what the history of our country uh, is, how it originated. And so all this background is necessary to see how we got to America today. So continue, Bill. We're in about 1607. We're in England. The pilgrims who are trying to separate from King uh, or, or from England because... Uh, yeah, but they, now it's they, King James. Now it's King James. They can't they can't purify like the Puritans want to do. So they're going to separate. They're going to go to Holland. OK, pick it up. Keep going. Right. They're there for 12 years. They settle in Leiden, which happened to be the city where the Jews settled after they were chased out of Spain. And um, then they uh, when Spain threatens to attack Holland, uh, the pilgrims decide to flee again. They were going to go to Guyana, South America, because they heard of the perpetual spring. Uh, and then they heard of the Spanish attacks. And so Spain wiped out colonies in the New World that were not Spanish. So these pilgrims decide to go to Jamestown. And they, uh, uh, long story short, they get blown off course. Uh, Their ship leaks a couple times, the speed well, they waste a bunch of time. 
they finally make it to uh, Massachusetts, and they're about to um, sail further south to get to Jamestown, um, but they get almost sink on the shoals off the coast of Cape Cod, the sandbars. You ever walk out in a beach and you could be 100 yards away from the shore and it's only up to your waist? Well, you can be a mile away from the shore at Cape Cod. And, um, and so, and, and there's sand like six feet under the water. And, the sh- and so these, um, boats would get stuck. 3000 ships have sunk on, off of Cape Cod. They call it the mm. graveyard of ships. So the pilgrims almost think the captain takes them back to Plymouth Rock and says, everybody off the boat's too dangerous to sail anymore. And this is the big change. The pilgrims raise their hands and say, well, we have a question. Who's going to be in charge of us? There's no king-appointed person on our boat. We were going to go to Jamestown, submit to the king's government, but there's no, who's going to be in charge? They do something unique. They give themselves the authority to start a government. This is a polarity change in world government. In the womb of this little Mayflower, it's a DNA change. Instead of a top-down form of government, everything's ruled by kings, it's a bottom-up form of government. And it starts off, we, in the presence of God, covenant ourselves together into a civil body politic. Where did they get this idea? from their pastor, John Robinson. He was not a king-appointed Anglican pastor. He was a separatist pilgrim pastor. He's considered one of the founders of the Congregationalist Church, which was this church model where it's like a home group. You have big decisions. Everyone fasts and prays and votes. They simply took their church model of government, and they made it their Mayflower, their their government's model of government. Mm. This influenced the other New England colonies and eventually the U.S. Constitution, which starts off how we, the people. Right. Instead of the pilgrims, we covenant ourselves together. It's we, the people of the United States of America. We're doing this thing. We don't need any approval from a king. And so um, that's why we look back to the pilgrims as the, the origin here of our form of government in America. It's a, a fascinating history, and it's only when you zoom out and look at it do we really appreciate. Now, there's more with the pilgrims, how they— uh, tried to do sort of a communistic type of government where everything was owned well, in common, let's, didn't work. Bill, let's, let's talk about that when we come back from the break, because that's a fascinating story in itself. When they showed up, as you mentioned, they thought they were going to share everything in common, and they tried that. It didn't work out, and we can talk about William Bradford when we come back from the break and, and how he uh, really went to more of a capitalist system to enable the pilgrims to survive because it wasn't going to survive in sort of a communist system. So we'll talk to Bill Federer more about that right after the break. Again, his website, AmericanMinute.com. Please go there, AmericanMinute.com. As you can see, he's a fascinating man uh, looking at history and looking at it in a way that anybody can understand. His most famous book is America's God and Country, an encyclopedia of quotations, but there's several other books. In fact, the book we're really talking about today is called The Treacherous World of the 16th Century and How the Pilgrims Escaped It, all by Bill Federer. I'm Frank Turk. We're back in just two minutes. Have a blessed, I hope you had a blessed Thanksgiving. We're back in two. Don't go away. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, we don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross Examined, you'll be giving 
to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Everything is connected, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we can be thankful today. One reason we can be thankful today is because there were people that sought freedom, religious freedom, and they came and established America. And the man who's telling us about this history is a man by the name of Bill Federer, a friend of mine who is a wonderful historian, has written a number of amazing books, among them America's God and Country, And the book that we're talking about most today is called The Treacherous World of the 16th Century and How the Pilgrims Escaped It uh, by William J. Federer. And uh, if you're just tuning in, you have to go back uh, and uh, listen once this is in podcast. If it's in podcast already, go back and listen to the beginning because we started in 1453 when the Muslims took over Constantinople. And right now we are in the early 1600s. When the pilgrims came to America, they were separatists. They wanted to separate from the Church of England, the Anglicans. They didn't think they could purify uh, the church, so they wanted to separate and find freedom. They first went to Holland, and then they came to America. And that's where we left it with um, our friend Bill Federer. Bill, why don't we pick it up right there? When the pilgrims arrived, first of all, they couldn't get south like they wanted to, to Jamestown. Um, so they were up in Massachusetts, which has brutal winters, uh, and they started a, a sort of a communist system of, uh, of, uh, planting land and all working together to share in the food. Why, first of all, why did they do that? And secondly, what were the consequences of it? Well, it was a company colony. So there's three types of colonies. The first is a company colony. It has bylaws. It's a win-win for the king. He risks nothing, spends nothing, just gives a monopoly to some people, and he gets a percentage of what comes in. It's sort of an offshoot of the privateers, you know, Queen Elizabeth, Sir Francis Drake, and it's like, okay, you go out and rob Spanish ships of gold, and uh, I'll pretend like I don't know what's going on, but we got this letter of mark, and you got to take your gold somewhere you can bring back to England, and I get a percentage. So uh, the monarchs risk nothing, but they get a percentage of what comes in. Um, that's a company colony. So Virginia was a company colony. Now, a little background. Uh, Middle Ages, there's a sin called usury, and it, it, it is the paying or receiving of interest. And so there were no companies in the Middle Ages. There were guilds, which were basically a thousand laws, rules, if you want to set up a shoe cobbler shop. I mean, but they didn't pool any money. And so if you wanted to do something big, like sail around the world looking for spices, you had to hit up some rich guy or a king. And so uh, so Sir Walter Raleigh, he lost 30,000 pounds sterling trying to settle the Roanoke colony and uh, Virginia, named after the Virgin Queen Elizabeth. And so he personally put forth the money, and he personally lost it. And so now the richest company in the world for 200 years was the Dutch East India Company. And um, now the British started uh, what's considered the first company. Believe it or not, in 1550, they were going to sail north of Russia to get over to China. The world's round, so sure. we can... And they have three right. ships. They're frozen in the ice. Uh, two of them. Everyone's dead, but the, the third one, some dog sleds come out from Russia and rescue them, take them to the Ivan the Terrible, the Tsar, and they change it to the Muscovy Company um, in like 1554. And um, But um, the Dutch 
uh, had this, instead of it being a, a handful of rich guys, anyone could invest money in a boat going to Indonesia. And when it came back filled full of spices, everyone would get paid a profit. And if you wanted to sell your ownership in the book, in the boat while it's at sea, you went down to the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. They invented the stock exchange. And uh, if your boat sank, that's when the Dutch invented insurance companies. That's where the insurance companies came from. Now, the Dutch settled a colony called New Amsterdam, and they had a New Amsterdam Stock Exchange along the wall of the little fort. When the British took over New Amsterdam in 1664, it turned into the New York Stock Exchange or Wall Street. Mm. And so individual people could invest in these big endeavors. They'd all get paid a profit. And so the uh, British started the British East India Company, and then the British started the Virginia Company. Now, the Virginia Company went bankrupt. (laughs) Diseases, Indian attacks, malaria. And so the king had to send over a royal crown governor to run the thing. And so that's the second type of colony, a royal crown colony. Now, the king said, it's a loser. I'm not going to spend any money. You're going to run the colony, but you got to get your own money from the people. So this royal crown governor comes over, gets the landowners together. They're called Burgesses, uh, like burgs, like neighborhood. And uh, there's 25 of them. And he says, um, figure out amongst yourselves who's going to pay me, but I, I want money. And while they're meeting, they say, you know what? Who's going to fix the potholes in the road? Who's going to fix the bridge? Who's going to defend against the Indians? And they backdoor into a legislative assembly making decisions. And as long as the royal crown governor is getting paid, he really doesn't care what else they talk about. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's Virginia. But uh, but Jamestown, uh, again, uh, it was sort of a bad situation. Um, one winter, 500 of them start off, 50 of them are alive by spring. I mean, they're just dying right and left. So it's a good thing that the pilgrims didn't make it to Jamestown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're born, of course, they land in um, Massachusetts. Uh, they try going south. They can't because it's dangerous. And um, now we always ask, we, we never ask ourselves the question, who's paying for the pilgrim boat ride? Uh, they had to promise investors. They were called adventurers. And these adventurers formed a company and they expected to get paid back. And so uh, the company had bylaws. And uh, in these bylaws, you can tell a business guy wrote them up because he had never actually tried to do it. But it says um, that the adventurers and the the planters agree um, that um, everything gained by trade, traffic, trucking, working, fishing, or any other means would go into ye common stock. And everyone would get their provisions and apparel, meat and drink out of ye common stock for the space of seven years. After seven years, a ye common stock would be divided equally among the adventurers and the planters. Adventurers were the uh, investors back in England. And so it was a communistic system. Everything goes into the pot. Everything goes out of the pot. William Bradford says the failure of this experiment of communal service, which was tried for several years, proves the, the emptiness of this. He says that it bred much confusion and discontent. He says the young men, who were most able and fit for service, objected to being forced to spend their time working for other men's wives and children without any recompense. The strong or resourceful man had no more share of the food or clothes than the weak man who was not able to do a quarter of the work. The aged men were ranked with the younger in labor food clothes, and they considered it a kind of disrespect and indignity 
And he goes on, as for men's wives who were obliged to do service for other men, such as cooking, washing their clothes, etc., they considered it a kind of slavery. Bradford goes on uh, that um, uh, because they didn't want to suffer want, like the previous year where they almost ran out of food, he says um, they came up with a fitter plan. He goes, let none argue that this is due to human failing rather than to this communistic plan of life itself. He called it a communistic plan. And so he says, after much discussion, uh, every family was assigned a parcel of land. And this was very successful. It made all hands very industrious so that much more corn was planted than by any other means the governor could have devised. The women now went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them to plant corn, while before they would allege weakness or inability and to have compelled them would have been thought great tyranny and oppression. Like, wow. oh, here, the communistic plan didn't work, and so they came up with a capitalistic plan. The very beginning of our country. And now, when they planted it, they had an abundant harvest, and they had plenty left over to do what? To be charitable with, right? If everything's owned in common, nobody can be charitable. But if right. you own stuff and you get stuff, then you can be charitable with what you're, st- you know. So it's just a fascinating lesson that they learned all the way back then. Now, Bill, and we're, by the way, for those of you just tuning in, this is Bill Federer. My name's Frank Turek. Bill Federer is obviously a wonderful historian, and he's taking us from 1453 all the way up to the Pilgrims and beyond. A little history as to how we got our country. You can see that everything is connected. Now, Bill, it seems to me that communism misunderstands or misdiagnoses human nature. And this is the problem here. Uh, communists think that people are inherently good and they're inherently hardworking. The truth is we're not inherently good. We're inherently selfish. And we will allow other people to do the work if they'll do it for us. And this obviously was the problem with communism. It's the same problem with communism or socialism today. And yet we have people in our government today who want to be socialists. We'll, we'll leave that discussion aside because we've got a lot more history to talk about today. So Bradford puts in a, a more capitalistic system. And this is about what year? Are we uh, 1620s or so? Where are we right now? Right, 1620s, and uh, the third type of colony is a proprietary colony. That's where a king gives the whole thing as property to a friend. So William Penn gets all of Pennsylvania as his personal property. Lord Baltimore gets all of Maryland as his personal property. Hmm. The um, seven lord proprietors, property owners, get all the Carolinas as their property. Uh, the Duke of York gets all of New York as his property. Oh, and so, um, so the three types are company <laughs> colonies, royal crown colonies, and proprietary colonies. The king's in charge of all three. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, But the pilgrims originally had a company colony, and then, you know, gradually they got away from that. And, Let uh, me ask you a question, though, about uh, if the pilgrims are trying to separate from the Anglican church, why would the king underwrite them? Or is are these private investors underwriting them? Uh, well, they just wanted a profit. Uh, they uh, knew that the New World was going to be settled by somebody. So uh-huh. uh, backtrack. We have uh, the Muslims surrounding Vienna in 1529, and they're continuing to invade into Europe and Hungary. Well, in 1571, the Muslims have assembled the largest naval fleet on the Mediterranean Sea, 
and they're about to invade Italy. Mm. And so uh, it's called the Battle of Lepanto, and um, Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor of Spain, uh, his son, Don John of Austria, uh, leads the Holy League. Why? Because these other countries of Europe didn't like each other, and the only way they would is if the king's son was had a stake in it, right? So he's 24 years old. Don John of Austria is 24 years old. He's leading the Holy League, which is the last-ditch effort to save Europe from this Muslim navy. And um, the day of the battle, uh, October 7th, 1571, the uh, wind is against the Holy League. They're just floundering in the water, and the Muslim ships are just barreling in under Ali Pasha. And... Um, Hold the thought, Bill. Hold the thought. We'll pick it up right after the break in this uh, battle of 1571, and then we'll come back over the pond back to America and complete uh, the discussion there as to how we got America and how we got Thanksgiving. Don't go away. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek and my fascinating guest, Bill Federer of AmericanMinute.com. AmericanMinute.com. Check it out. Happy Thanksgiving. We're back in two. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. We're trying to cover hundreds of years of history today, friends, on uh, this podcast with my friend Bill Federer. So we're going to go right back to Bill. Bill, before the break, we were talking, or you were talking about the Battle of Lepanto. Pick it up right there. Well, the year is 1571, and it's the largest battle on the Mediterranean. 230 Muslim ships powered by 15,000 Christian slaves under the deck, rowing. And um, the uh, European countries did not like each other. The only way they'd work together is if the Charles V's son, Don John of Austria, leads them. And he's only 24 years old, but he's fought in a bunch of battles. He's very courageous. And the day of the battle, the wind is helping the Muslims. And they're barreling in, and the Holy League is floundering. And the admirals say, you know, we can fight another day. And Don John says, no. He gets them on deck. They pray. While they're praying, the wind changes 180 degrees. The, the, the Muslim ships stall and they flounder and the Holy League sails all fill up and they smash and capture or sink 200 of the 230 Muslim ships. Great victory. Well, instead of following up on this and freeing the rest of the Mediterranean from Islamic control, Spain takes its army and navy to smash the Reformation in Holland and in England. And so the next year, 1572, the Spanish Furies begin where the Iron Duke of Alba goes into Holland and just butchers men, women, and children, like Antwerp, Holland, leaving piles of bodies. And and then uh, the Spanish send their armada to smash the Reformation in England. Queen Elizabeth is the queen. Uh, the year is 1588. Not the current and, queen, ladies and gentlemen. This is an earlier queen. <laughs> yeah, the queen She's Elizabeth She's not that I. old. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth I. And she uh-huh. gives the most famous speech of her career. She says, I know I have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the stomach of a king and of a king of England, too. And I stand against any monarch of Europe that would dare invade the borders of my realm. And with God's help, we'll have a great victory. And so she rallies people like Sir Francis Drake, and they all, with the help of a hurricane, uh, defeat the Spanish Armada. Mm -hmm. And this is the most uh, one of the most important battles in history. Why? Because Spain lost its monopoly over the seas and over the New World. And so 
it was suddenly like an Oklahoma land rush. All the other European countries that were afraid of Spain, they now are like, let's go at it. And so France settles New France, which becomes Canada. Nova Scotia means New Scotland. The Swedes settled New Sweden, which later becomes Delaware and New Jersey. The um, Dutch settled New Amsterdam, and which later becomes New York. And then the English settled Virginia, named after the Virgin Queen, and New England. And so it was sort of like, you know, all these countries in Europe wanting to hurry up and stake their claims. And so they had to get some type of colony going to, to you know, put, stab their, their flag in the ground, so to speak. And so the British had Virginia, but it was a struggling colony. But when the pilgrims got blown off course, rather than say, okay, you know, pick up and go to Jamestown, they're like, no, 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 let's uh, make them uh, – the, the whole eastern coast of America was called Virginia. Uh, and so they split it in half, and they called the top half Massachusetts, an Indian name. And uh, the investors that um, were financing them, you know, quickly put together the Massachusetts company. And uh, that's where everything was owned in common for seven years. And um, But uh, the story of Squanto, if I have a, a few minutes. Uh, yeah, that please one do. Is please tell telling. the story. Yeah. Go ahead. So um, the Pilgrims, 102 of them. It's a 66-day journey. They're coming across the ocean, 3,000 miles. And it's so stormy, they're confined to the between deck, a little four-foot-high space. And, I mean, it's not a cruise ship. There's no privacy. I mean, it's tossing and turning. The main beam actually cracks, and um, they have to pry it back in place. And uh, one of the sailors that was taunting the pilgrims dies. One of the young pilgrims die. And then a baby's born. And... Uh, they're running out of fresh water. They get to the coast of America, and they find out they're 500 miles off course. They try going south, but they almost sink on the, the shoals, the sandbars off of Cape Cod. They go back. They do the Mayflower Compact. They get off the boat. It's now November. It's winter and in New England, and uh, the men get out. They're chopping trees. They're sweating. They're catching colds. Turns into pneumonia. They die. One, two, three, a dozen, two dozen, three dozen. Fifty, uh, half of the pilgrims die the first winter. Only five couples retain their original spouses. You know, the widows marry the widowers to raise the mm -hmm. kids. Um, they would not have survived another year. But the spring, 1621, March, into the camp comes an Indian speaking to them in broken English, tells them of another England that knows English better than himself. Sure enough, about four or five days later, William Bradford writes that um, Squanto, with the chief Massasoit comes into the camp and the, the chief, you know, they, they greet each other. The chief leaves and Squanto stays with them. And now what's his story? Um, uh, the pilgrims were pilgrims. They were religiously motivated. There were other sailors who were not religiously motivated. They were pirates. They were raiding the Spanish ships. Uh, and these uh, people would come across the coast of America and fish, but also lure Indians on board and say, hey, you want to go see what's below deck? And the Indians would wander below deck, and they would slam the lid. And then they would take them to Spain and sell them into slavery. Um, Malaga, Spain. Now, there's two threads I trace through history, greed and the gospel. You always have people motivated by the gospel. And they're the ones that uh, had you know, medical clinics and had dig wells in African villages and start orphanages and all kinds of great stuff. And then you have people motivated by greed. And they're the ones that you know take Indians captive and sell people into slavery and so forth. And um, 
So it's a software problem, not a hardware problem. People say, well, this, the European race is bad and the, you know, Native American. No, the Indians had cannibalism. They had slavery. And so instead of looking at the color of your computer, you look at what software is running on the thing. You don't look at right. a person's skin color. You look at, are they following the gospel and loving people or are they following the flesh and they're selfish? So I wanted to make that clear. But anyway, so here you have the pilgrims, half of them die. Um, this Indian walks out, he's Squanto. The story is that he was taken captive, sold as a slave in Malaga, Spain, with a bunch of others. He was rescued by some monks, and they you know, do the best to communicate the gospel to him. They give him his freedom. He makes his way to England. He's in London. Here's this American Indian in London. He's there for 12 years. He works for different, you know, companies and, you know, helps them to draw maps of the new world. He's speaking to them and, you know, learning English. And he finally gets one of the companies to drop him off in Newfoundland. And then after a while, he finds another ship that's going through the coast of America. And uh, he gets them to talk to him into dropping him off. And he gets off at Massachusetts only to find his entire tribe is dead. Wow. Wow. Imagine how depressed he would have been. William Bradford says that a French ship was shipwrecked at Cape Cod, you know, those shoals that are dangerous. Right. Yeah. And um, the sailors get ashore and the Indians never left watching them and dogging them till they got the advantage and killed them all, but three or four of them they sent from one sachem Indian chief to another. Well, evidently one of them had an illness. The Indians caught it, wiped out the tribe. So thorough was it that none of the other Indian tribes claimed the land. So in a sense, the pilgrims landed on the one spot on the Eastern seaboard that was not claimed by a tribe. Now, had Squanto not been kidnapped, he most certainly would have died in that plague. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where, you know, God turned around. And so the next spring here, Squanto comes out, and you can imagine the dismay on the pilgrims' faces. He walks into their camp and says, hi, you guys from London? Yeah, I used to live there. <laughs> St. Paul's <laughs> Chapel, yeah, you know, the, the, right. the Wharf Street and everything. Uh-huh. They go, oh, here, I, I grew up here. This is my own stopping ground. Over there at Hills of Spring, and, and he teaches them how to catch fish. And um, he teaches them how to go down to the riverbank and dig up clams and squeegee in the mud and catch eels and uh, teaches them how to plant corn and take the corn and put it in a pot, shake it over a fire and make popcorn, right? And um, teaches them how to catch beaver skins. It took it took um, uh, 40 years worth of beaver skins to pay off their debt for their boat ride. You know, the, the Virginia had tobacco as their cash crop and the the pilgrims, it was beaver skins. And then Squanto was their interpreter and put them on good terms with the other Indian tribes. And so this lays the setting for the first Thanksgiving. The Indians show up with their deer and turkey. The pilgrims have their puddings and so forth. And um, at the end of the day, the Indians roll up in their blanket, go to sleep. The next day, they're there. The Thanksgiving goes on a second day. The boys are doing foot races and arm wrestling, and that night they go to sleep, and the Indians roll up in their blanket. The next day, they have Thanksgiving a third day. <laughs> and um, and so they uh, they had a peace. There was even uh, the chief Massasoit got sick, and the pilgrim Edward Winslow goes to doctor him up, and he recovers, and this gives birth to a 50-year peace between the Indians and the Americans. Now, the fine print was, if you doctor a chief and he dies, you die too. <laughs> so, right. you know, and uh, now, uh, what happened to Squanto? William Bradford says he was a special instrument sent of God for their good beyond their expectation. Uh, but a, a year or so later, they're exploring in the bay, and it's freezing rain comes up, and the storm is so bad, uh, they're shivering. They put in at a little outcropping island, build a lean to, 
And William Bradford says, here Squanto fell ill of Indian fever, bleeding much at the nose, which the Indians take for a symptom of death. He bequeathed several of his belongings to his English friends, and then he begged Governor Bradford to pray for him that he would go to the Englishman's God in heaven. Mm. So here are these pilgrims, these Englishmen, they're living their Christian faith in front of him for these couple of years. He sees it, he goes, I want to go to your God. I believe William Bradford led him in the prayer of the salvation there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but just a fascinating story of um, how the pilgrims survived and gave birth to this country where we basically get to be in charge of our lives without some government dictator, King, Chairman Mao, you know, to dictating to us uh, what we're supposed to believe and where to live and who to marry and what clothes to wear and so forth. If you like having the freedom to make decisions for your life, you like the pilgrims. Well, Bill, this has been fascinating, and we've got to do this again and pick it up right there and go to the present day. But we have a lot to be thankful for in this country, and we see, we've seen how everything is connected, how one thing led to another thing, and one event led to another event. And we as Americans and Christians have to continue to defend the freedom that we have and that were given to us, at least initially, by the pilgrims in this country. So thank you for your fine work, Bill, and thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Frank. That's Bill Federer. Fascinating. If you want a book that goes through this in much more detail than what we can talk about, get Bill's book, The Treacherous World of the 16th Century and How the Pilgrims Escaped It. Also go to his website, AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. Sign up for his daily email on history. You'll love it. And also go to our website, CrossExamined.org. God bless, friends. See you next week. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the cross-examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support.